Welcome to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church, featuring our pastor, Rebecca Duke-Barton. Good morning. I'm delighted to be with you today. I'm Jennifer Hoff, and I'm a lay speaker at Jessup First United Methodist Church. I'm honored to fill in for Pastor Rebecca this morning. Before we get into the Word, I'd like you to think with me for a moment. Have you ever needed God right now? Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever lived with a situation so long that you were willing to do anything to break any rule, to go to any lengths to see it resolved? This morning, we're going to look at a story that involves not one, but two people who were in exactly that place. Let's look at the story from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports of Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body, that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd. Who touched my garments, he said. And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside 
and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Corey Ten Boom said, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Metaphorically speaking, the woman with the issue of blood was in a pit. It was deep, it was dark, and there was no way to pull herself out. She had tried. Her only hope was to be rescued. Her suffering was far beyond physical. Even today, with all the incredible advances in medicine, we know that for some, living with chronic illness can be absolutely debilitating, affecting every area of one's life. But this woman wasn't just living with chronic illness because she was living under the law, and under the law, her bleeding made her ceremonially unclean. Now normally, this wouldn't have actually been a huge deal. In other words, being unclean did not automatically make someone an outcast. Rules regarding cleanness were simply routine in ancient Israel. It was a matter of having access to the temple, who could enter God's house and in what condition. If you were unclean, you would simply follow the law, cleanse yourself accordingly, and regain access at the proper time. The book of Leviticus tells us in chapter 15, verse 19, that if a woman has a regular discharge of blood, she would be unclean and would remain in isolation for seven days. And it explains that anyone who touches her during that time would be unclean as well until evening. It goes on to, to tell specifics about things she touches and those who touch the things that she touches and so on. But again, this was standard. However, in verse 25, it explains, too, that if a woman has a discharge of blood that goes beyond what's normal, she would be unclean for as long as the bleeding persisted. And in this woman's case, that was 12 years. Can you imagine? 12 years of bleeding. 12 years of not being allowed in the temple to worship. 12 years of isolation from others to avoid making them unclean as well. It was an extremely personal problem, and yet it wasn't something she would have been able to keep to herself. People would have noticed things like that her absence was more than typical, and she would have been figured out. And sadly, in her day, the guidelines about when and how to enter the temple had become about social status as well. People who were unclean for so long like that tended to be excluded. They were outcasts, and it was often used in, as an excuse not to show compassion and mercy to them. I imagine the pain that she felt, physically, emotionally, 
even spiritually, must have been indescribable. Blood represents life, and it was continuously flowing out of her. For 12 years, this thing, this ailment, was standing between her and everything that means anything in life. But I believe we serve a strategic God. He's the one who set each of the stars in place, and even in the darkest of nights, He knows how to line things up just right for us as well. You see, even from where this woman stood in society, she saw an opportunity after she had heard about a name. But not just any name. She had heard about the mighty and matchless name above all names. The name of Jesus. Now, we aren't told her name, but I'm hoping that in heaven one day I can somehow give her a hug and a high five because despite what this woman had been through, and it was a lot, there was still fight in her. After all the pain, all the time that had passed, all the disappointment with doctors, the hardship, rejection, and shame, she heard about Jesus, and when she did, she responded in faith, telling herself, if I can even just touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed like others have been healed. If I can just reach him, then he could do for me what he's done for them. Just when hope for her situation seemed all but lost, it started to rise in her again because she chose to believe the reports that she had heard of the Lord. The law had written unclean over her. But when I think about this woman's story, one of the words that comes to my mind is courage. The Word of God assures us that He has given every believer a measure of faith, but anyone who has spent more than a little bit of time on this planet knows that sometimes it takes nothing short of bravery to walk by faith. It's easy to believe when our concerns are few, but her very life was on the line. And when she decided to put herself into that crowd, she was taking a huge risk. Considering her condition, there was more than one way that this could have gone. It's worth mentioning, too, that even the healthiest of women probably wouldn't have just taken it upon themselves to reach out and touch Jesus. Due to the customs, it would have been highly inappropriate. I'm not saying that they wouldn't have been in the crowd at all, but it's safe to assume that if they were— They probably would have hung back a bit, and it would have been men and boys following in closest proximity to him. As we read, this desperate but courageous woman did touch Jesus' garment, and immediately she felt that the flow of blood had stopped. But I don't think what happens next is something she was planning on. It would appear that she was hoping she could just sneak back out of the crowd and finally move on with her life. But Jesus had felt the power go out from him. So he asked, who touched me? The disciples are like, huh? All these people and you ask that? But in this was everything. This leads into the part that my soul just adores because because the Bible says she came forward and with fear and trembling, she told him the whole truth. Pause with me here, if you will. With fear and trembling, she told him the whole truth. Whole, meaning all of it. 
Obviously, I can't speak for her. I'm not trying to put words in her mouth or make her experience with Jesus something that perhaps it wasn't. I just know that as I was meditating on her story, those words, the whole truth, stuck out to me. I thought, what if the isolation and the rejection she experienced felt worse than the bleeding ever did? If so, it says with fear and trembling, she told him the whole truth. I thought, what if she understood that it started with the law, but she really wasn't sure if she would be able to trust that anyone actually cared for her again? If so, it says with fear and trembling, she told him the whole truth. I thought, what if unclean and unworthy weren't just words to describe what people in her community thought about her, but they were words to describe what she had begun to believe about herself? If that was the case, it says with fear and trembling, she told him the whole truth. We're not told exactly what her whole truth entailed, but what we are told is that Jesus responded by calling her daughter, and he told her that her faith had made her well. We're shown that he covered her truth with his truth, that he is love, that he is full of compassion, full of grace, full of mercy. And he told her to go in peace. So there were two people in this story. What about Jairus? Remember, he was the one we read about first. He was in desperate need of a miracle too. He was a dad and his little girl was dying. He humbled himself and fell before the feet of Jesus. He pleaded with him to go and lay hands on his daughter so she would be made well. And Jesus goes with him to do just that. But then on the way, he stops. Jesus is asking questions and waiting for an answer. This woman finally comes forward, and now Jairus is watching Jesus transform another life while he waits. I can't help but wonder what Jairus might have been thinking. As a human being, I could understand if Jairus might have felt slighted. I would imagine that the delay felt like a major setback. Time was of the essence, and Jairus didn't know how long his daughter had. While Jesus and the woman are talking, messengers come from his house, and they tell Jairus that his daughter has already died. They told him there was no need to even bother Jesus with it anymore, that it was too late, she was gone. Can you imagine what Jairus felt then? But Jesus overheard all that and he said to him, Do not fear, only believe. Could it be that what might have felt like a setback was actually a divine setup? Jairus had a decision to make when he was told that his daughter had already died. He could believe the report he received in the natural or he could keep walking with Jesus and trust him for the supernatural. What I mean by the possibility of a setup rather than a setback is that Jairus had just seen the power of Jesus at work in this woman's life. He was there when she told Jesus the whole truth, that she had touched him and was immediately healed. He was there to see that her touch didn't cause Jesus to become unclean, but that he made her clean. Jairus had just witnessed this beautiful act of mercy. He witnessed what happened as a result of the woman's faith. 
Is it possible that seeing what happened with her encouraged Jairus to keep believing for his own need? Despite the report that his daughter had already died, Jairus did continue walking with the Lord. But this time, Jesus doesn't allow the crowd to continue to follow them. And we could skim over this detail, but if we did, I'm afraid we would miss out because it serves as a gentle reminder that sometimes the best thing we can do in our circumstances is to separate ourselves from all the noise and all the distractions that compete for our attention so we can focus solely on what it is that God wants to say to us. Jesus withdrew often to be alone and pray, and it's absolutely imperative that we do the same in our lives. When they arrived at Jairus' home, there was a lot of commotion. Mourners were wailing and weeping, but Jesus questioned them, asking, Why are you weeping? He told them, The child is not dead, only sleeping. But they laughed and scoffed at him. Jesus put them out and taking only her parents and the disciples that were with him, he went to the room where the little girl lay. He took her by her lifeless hand and he spoke to her saying, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she got up and started walking around. Everyone was completely astonished by what had just happened, but Jesus commanded that they not tell anyone about the miracle and simply told them to give her something to eat. Two different lives, two different needs, two spans of 12 years that led both to the Messiah. There's so much here, I doubt that I've even begun to scratch the surface. But what I know is that there is a Jairus and there is a woman with the issue of blood in all of us. No matter who we are, where we're from, where we've been, what we've done, No matter what it looks like from the outside, on the inside, every single one of us has a need that can only be met by Jesus Christ alone. In the case of the woman, we saw that her impurity was covered with his purity. In the case of Jairus, we saw that Jesus overcame the curse of death with life, and he's done the same for us. He took our guilt and our shame and he put it on himself so that we could become sons and daughters of the Most High God and proclaim the good news to desperate people in desperate places. Father, I thank you for each person under the sound of my voice and I thank you for your radical love for us all. Thank you, God, that you meet our truth with your truth and because of that, we have hope forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church with Rebecca Duke Barton. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website. It's jessupfumc.org. That's J-E-S-U-P-F-U-M-C dot org.